Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 95 for June 7th, 2007, Open ID. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site, looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. It's time to talk about security, everybody. Yeah, gather around the radio. Uncle Stevie's security hour has come every every Thursday. <laughs> There's a new one. I like that. That could be a new title. Uncle Stevie's security, security hour. I think we better just drop that now. <laughs> Steve Gibson's here from GRC.com, the creator of SpinRite, everybody's favorite, certainly my favorite, hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. And he, he creates all those great free security programs like Shields Up, Decombobulator, Shoot the Messenger, Unplug and Pray, the click of death. That was one of the first ones. And on and on and on. And today we're going to talk about, you said, open ID. Open ID. Yes. In fact, you referred to it when we were talking in our multi-factor authentication. Uh, one of the two uh, recent episodes where we talked about authenticating people. Uh, and, and we were talking about, remember, I was making the wish of, boy, wouldn't it be cool if there was some third party, for example, that could take something really secure like RSA's secure ID token, which uses the the combination of a pin and a slowly changing number, a number that changes once every minute. And so you had like really strong authentication, yet not every individual place you would want to use it would need their own authentication scheme. Mm. Essentially, you you there there'd be some third party provider who were who who was doing the authentication with you sort of a, a, as a proxy and then being able to say to this target site yes we're sure this is Steve or Leo or whomever and and so it was sort of offload that well it turns out that is exactly what open id is and does and so we're going to Explain it all in the next hour. I think it's great because I, I'm a kind of a fan of Open ID, and I'd like to see it more in more widespread use. Because all of these technologies, you know, uh, aren't meaningful unless they're especially Open ID. But many of them are not meaningful unless everybody uses them or a large percentage of people use well, them. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, this thing has all of the feel of the way it's the way it should be done yes. and it, it's it's got also this it, it feels very much like the 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 way the web was originally designed it's got the characteristics in every way i can see of something that's going to be very successful there's a little bit of intellectual property encumbrance that uh, seems yet still to be resolved so i think it's a danish company uh, has a about a 6 year old some some intellectual property patent claims over something like this. It's like, oh no, you know, please just give it away. And in fact, the the OpenID.net site t- explicitly says, you know, we want this to be as unencumbered by 
any intellectual property as, as it's possible for us to have it be. So, you know, let's hope that gets resolved. But I guess my point is that uh, this thing has the feeling of the one that's going to win. Well, we'll get to that in a second. And uh, we also have some addenda and uh, responses to some email from previous shows. But before we go much further, I think we should say hello to our friends at Nerds On Site. They are our sponsor. And I think they're wrapping up uh, this week uh, their uh, time with us. And we're very glad to have had them on board. Nerds On Site, <clears throat> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a complicated idea. So probably the best thing to do is go to the website, IWantToBeANerd.com. They're looking for nerds to help service their customers. Uh, if you've got PC or Mac skills, mad skills, if you know Cisco or Cisco or Oracle, uh, you name it, they need it. Everything from fix-it technicians, website designers. You don't have to know all of these, by the way. Any one of these. Programmers, project managers, even sales trainers. Of course, security experts, antivirus gurus, and more. And they love nerds that troubleshoot, tear apart, and rebuild their own machines in their spare time. If you do that, then you you are definitely a candidate. Independent contractors, you know, which is nice. So you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. You focus on your passion and not the burdens of running a business. They're all over the world, everywhere you can hear my voice. And they have a university of nerdology, too, to help you perfect your skills, to hone your skills. If you're a nerd, you love working with people, go to www.iwantobeanerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. Great people, a great company, and we really thank them for supporting this show. That's nerds on site. I want to be a nerd.com. Should we wrap up uh, before we go into this open ID thing? Wrap up uh, anything from previous episodes? Well, yeah, I've got, I have a couple things. Um, I'm sort of remember that I referred to the fact that we're beginning to get comments. I mean, really interesting and, and useful comments from listeners, not just questions. So, I'm sort of calling this the mailbag portion, and we, I, we I went get a couple a jingle. weeks. <laughs> we need exactly. a jingle. <laughs> I, I went a couple of weeks without opening the mailbag just because I've been running around my wits end at, at this end and haven't had a chance really to go back and and do a lot of reading. And now that I've done that, I don't know. I'm I'm wishing we were <laughs> we were somehow able to share more of this than than we can. They're well, just, next week we get a question and answer session. But I, I do I agree with you. I think we get such great mail. It's so fascinating. Oh, it really is. Anyway, um, Brad Burke, uh, I want to say his, right, his name right, Brad Burkmeyer uh, in North Sioux City, South Dakota, writes, and, and sort of very coincidentally, I, to- I tossed this in because of what we're going to be talking about today. He says, show 94 mm. really sparked my imagination. I'd absolutely love to run my own open ID server uh-huh. with with secure ID authentication. But the problem is, how much does a secure ID installation cost? Will RSA even sell it to me without being a business? I'm guessing there's a software package you have to purchase, and then you can purchase secure ID tokens as huh. needed individually or in packs. I never thought I'd of all this, know, but he's right, yeah. Yeah, I, he said, I'd love to know more about that if you have any idea. Uh, if this isn't possible uh, to do on a personal scale, Steve should start his own open ID plus secure ID business. Certainly. He says, he says, I'd buy. You don't have enough to do. You need to start a new uh, business. That's right. I don't have enough projects in the, ba- in the queue. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, I just, I wanted to share that because, because his note was echoed by a number of other listeners and, uh, I'm guessing that he's right. I don't know. I haven't researched it, uh, relative to RSA's secure ID, 
Um, but I'm guessing they've got it locked up. It's proprietary. You need to use, you know, something that they've got, you know, complete intellectual property protection wrapped around and probably, you know, dripping in crypto so that it's not possible to do sort of a, a free open version that uses their tokens. The the tokens are so cool that I just purchased a bunch of them. They, they've got, well, credit card ones. They've got credit cards ones with a little 10-key pad on them. I just call, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be able to use them for anything because I don't have all the other software. But just the idea of something, you know, a little key fob that's got a six-digit number that changes mysteriously every minute. I just kind of like that. So yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah. you know, high geek factor. But, you know, what the heck. Anyway, Lars... Solberg in Norway is using the USB fingerprint device I talked about wanting last time. You may remember that that I talked about one that I'd seen that was very inexpensive. Um, I think it was thirty dollars or something. And then it had a it had a fingerprint scanner that apparently unlocked its contents. But you had mentioned that you guys had looked at that probably the same one on the lab with Leo. This one was made by Sandisk. Yes. Yes. Um, it happened that the day we recorded that podcast, I found the box on my doorstep. Oh, and, that's and funny. Sure, and sure enough, um, exactly as you said, Leo, this thing was dumb in, the, in as much as it only worked with Windows. Uh, the good news is I did plug it in. It did launch itself, which, you know, always gives us a queasy feeling U3. when, yeah. you know, Although software not on U3. the dongle runs itself. I think they're using a U3-like system, but not U3 itself. Well, it's not. Uh, it, it's it's because I have looked at U3, and that just gives me the willies. That's because, really I mean, scary. it's yeah. really invasive. It's popping up menus and stuff, and, and you can't get rid of it easily. Anyway, the, at least the SanDisk solution is lightweight, but it still is heavily dependent on the PC. Well, Lars found one, and I will have a link in our show notes. Um, it's uh, by bioslimdisk.com. So www.bioslimdisk.com. And they've got one that is what I was hoping for. It's entirely self-contained, no drivers, mm. OS independent. Um, and, well, and let, let me just read Lars' note. He says, longtime listener, first mailer. <laughs> During the last podcast, you said that a USB stick that could just work everywhere with fingerprint authentication would be so cool. Well, I've got some good news. I have that ultimate USB stick, and I use it every day. You can find it at, and he gives the URL, bioslimdisk.com. It encrypts with AES-256, if I remember correctly, on board. So there are no extra drivers or anything that needs to be installed, and it works with every OS and device that supports simple USB sticks. He said, I even have used it on my TV, which has a USB input on it. I just love this thing. Uh, he said it was hard to find it, but he did find it. It came in the mail, and he's had it ever since. B-I-O-S-L-I-M-D-I-S-K dot com. Bioslimdisk. Oh, Bioslimdisk. <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. Oh, you're right. It's bio. Bio. B-I-O-S, I'm looking at the capitalization on the website. It's bio slim. You heard the music from the website. Bio slim disc. So now we know. Yep. Not bio slim disc. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't make nearly as much sense. Although it does say bios, which we just sort of yeah. t- t- tend to lock onto yeah. naturally. Bio slim disc. Okay, got it. Good. So finally, uh, I got a really neat. Spinrite testimonial that I want to share with people from 
uh, again, a Security Now listener, Russ Souter, um, who wrote, I've been a regular Security Now listener since about episode 15, and I've loved it. To show support for the show and for a little extra peace of mind, I purchased Spinrite a while back without any immediate need for it. And we know where this is going. Uh, he says, it sat on my shelf for a while until a good friend of mine who's a CPA called me on Friday, March 23rd in the middle of tax season, telling me that his server had crashed with all his important client oh. documents still on it. Oh. He, sa- he said, I rushed over and checked his backups. <clears throat> they hadn't run successfully in two months, right. but with the hustle of tax season, he hadn't bothered to check them. Of course not. So I dusted off my copy of Spinrite and put it to work on the poor, tired, antiquated, scuzzy drive inside his four-year-old SCSI. server. Wow. Yeah. He says, it took until midday Monday. I don't know what day that was he started, but he says it took until midday Monday before it finished its job and there were a whole lot of red U's showing up. But there were a lot more recovered sectors. When it had finished, I took out the Spinrite CD, and sure enough, the system booted up and everything was running again. It lasted the rest of the way through tax season, and by April 16th, we were installing his new Dell server, parents, with a RAID 1 mirror and a complete off-site backup system with reporting, and copying all his data from the old server without any problems on behalf of my friend and the hundreds of customers who now have their 2006 tax fi- uh, tax returns filed on time. <laughs> Thank pro- you. And who probably never knew how close they came. <laughs> well, and, well, actually, you can tell that they really, you know, they saw the end of their life here. Because, yeah. I mean, then he went to a he raid one full mirroring and off-site backup. And, you know, that happens often is that. Uh, people will get spin right because they, they've had like a near death experience. Right. And it's like, oh, thank God we're, you know, all they needed was like one massive save. And then they've learned their lesson and they're like never going to be in a situation, even though now they're glad they have spin right. They just, they recognize because they they came so close to complete loss of everything that now they've got to do something so that they're not as dependent on any single point of failure as they were before. Yep. Yep. Very good. Well, that's not a nice story with a happy ending. <laughs> Although I'd like to see raid five, not raid one, but that's another story entirely. Yes. Let us move on to uh, the subject at hand, shall we? I'm very interested to see what you what you make of open ID. I, we've interviewed a couple of open ID people. In fact, we did uh, on net at night a couple of uh, months ago. Uh, and I use a number of different open ID services. And so I've been intrigued by this for a while, but it seems early days. It seems like it's not quite useful yet. So, but you've done some research on how it works. Well, it's, it's certainly, I agree with you. It's early days in as much as I don't think I have yet encountered a single no. site in my limited browsing. You know, I'm not nearly the pervasive web surfer that you and Amber are, Leo. Right. But I, but I don't think I've ever seen a site, or at least I've never noticed it. Now, of course, it, it's just like anything else. You know, you you learn a new word, and suddenly everyone seems to be using that new word, and you think, was it was no one using this <laughs> word before I knew what it meant? AOL uh, is AOL's going to use it. Dig's using it. Uh, uh, we could use it on Twit. It's actually available as a Drupal module. Well, um, now wait a minute. Is Dig actually using it? Because I went to Dig. They're supposed hearing- to be. That Kevin had announced he was going yeah, to earlier this year, yeah. and it's still not there yeah, yet. Yeah, I think AOL is using it now. 
Well, a- actually, AOL definitely is using it, and yeah. it turns out that they the way they implemented it, and I'm going to explain how this is possible, is they've said any AOL um, you existing users, that is your your existing logon credentials, can be used as an Open ID authentication. So, well, if you have an so AOL the, account, you you've got a uh, an Open ID. Exactly. Neat. Exactly. And AOID is an open ID server, which we're all about to explain. So, so here's the idea. First of all, open ID allows a, what's known as a single sign-on capability. Without something like this, we're where we are today, where every site we go to wants our user ID, sometimes it's our email address, for example, and then a password. And, you know, as we've been preaching for a long time, Leo, in order to minimize the risk of a single site being malicious, it's it's good practice to come up with different passwords, maybe different usernames, and and not heavily reuse those. Because, again, the danger is you are you're authenticating yourself with each site you visit one on one the reason i was i was so stoked about the idea for example of a secure id base that is to say rsa's secure token is that it's first of all it gets the strength of multi factor authentication by bringing something you have meaning the token and something you know which would be your matching personal password or or pin it would bring that multi factor authentication to the concept of single sign-on, meaning that that there's some other entity than the website you want to authenticate yourself with. That entity is the one that you build a an identity or a, and a trust relationship with, and then the site you want to authenticate with asks that third party, "Is this really that person?" So this and, isn't anything new. In fact, Microsoft. Did the did it, did this AOL has done this before? Microsoft's Passport is still around, although not particularly vital. But I still use Passport on a few sites. That well, was the idea, a, right? You'd have a Passport account with Microsoft, and then log into Expedia and various other sites using that. Yes, I mean, so you're right. It's certainly not a new idea. What is fantastic about OpenID is that, as I mentioned before, it is absolutely. Open. I mean, open, open, open. It's not Microsoft's. It's not AOL's. Nobody owns it. Right. The protocols are all absolutely in the public domain. Hopefully, this isn't going to run across or run afoul of anyone who comes along and says, well, we actually invented this. You know how I feel about you know uh, people inventing things that are neat, neat, but sort of obvious. Hopefully, there will be, you know, some some prior, some clear prior use of this concept, even if not in this exact implementation, that would that would water down and hopefully prevent somebody from locking it down. But for example, there are implementations of this in C sharp, in C, Java Perl, Python, Ruby, PHP, Cold Fusion. You know, in looking list, I'm thinking, wait, no assembly language? But anyway. I think you could implement it. <laughs> I think I could probably handle that. But yeah. okay, so one of the reasons that, this, for example, this differs from Microsoft's Passport is that, you know, that was all about Microsoft. OpenID is not, and in fact, Microsoft is one of the major people embracing OpenID. Oh, really? 
and planning to integrate it into the system that they've got, which is CardSpace for Vista. And that's one of CardSpace and Windows will be a topic that we are going to be covering here before long. But so even Microsoft is saying, okay, uh, Passport didn't really take. And of course, nothing that that is sole provider is going to. One of the so cool things about this is that any user can can have total control. There's no centralized authority. Users can choose their own authentication servers. Now, I'm, I'm avoiding all of the jargon of OpenID because there's a ton of jargon, and that's just confusing. So I'm yeah. going to use general terms that we understand. I'm sure this will not be the last time we're talking about OpenID. So, you know, we'll, we'll drill down into the specifics over time but but in general i want to explain how this works why it's so open why i really think this is the one and you know basically uh what what problems it has and 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 then the different modes it has of operation so so again the idea is that this single sign-on model is which is the goal exactly as you said leo with passport is that you would and well as this becomes more prevalent, sites would offer you the opportunity of using your open ID if you had one. So of you course, could, for instance, come to twit.com and we would say, use your twit pass, pass, password, but if you have an open ID password, you can also use that instead. It, exactly. It'd be like, we will accept that too. Okay. Now, a, a, an example of this that many people may be familiar with, for example, is PayPal. You know, I'm I am a heavy web commerce user and I absolutely look for a PayPal option if I'm buying something on the net from some random site that I've never worked with before. You know, I I will always try to purchase from Amazon because I I would rather lump my my trust with a single big provider who has a ton to lose if they ever screw up the <laughs> the security side of things i mean can you imagine a bigger disaster than you know than amazon's user passwords and and database and purchasing patterns and credit card information oh. and everything escaping say it not say it not right so one imagines they are being really 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 responsible yeah. now you compare that to some random mom and pop site somewhere and I mean, I just I do not want to give them my credit card information. Hopefully enough people feel that way that that puts pressure on them to accept PayPal. And so on sites where I can use PayPal, I never fail to do so because there I am giving them essentially PayPal is exactly this kind of solution for for my my credit information where where I end up bouncing, you know, they bounce me to PayPal. I log in there with my PayPal credentials, say to PayPal, yes, I'm me. And, and what happened was pay, um, the site where I was sort of sent some shopping cart information along with my bounce, my redirection to PayPal. I'm talking about this because this is also very much the way OpenID works in a couple of its simpler modes. So now I'm at PayPal. I log into PayPal, you know, choose the way I want to pay. Do I want to use my credit card, my bank account, whatever? Say, yes, I want you to send 
money PayPal back to the site where I was. So PayPal takes the money from my card, verifies it, and, and then bounces me back to the site where I was. And that site, having got authentication from PayPal, that basically the money is now theirs, says, oh, good, we're going to ship your goodies to you. And now the uh, comparing this, I want to make one more comparison because I've recently become a, a fan of Google Checkout, and I prefer it. To PayPal because Google has more information that they're able to provide and, and and that is specifically I don't have to fill out all the other stuff about myself because Google's got my shipping address and my billing address whereas PayPal is limited just to the financial transaction so if I'm somewhere and Google checkout is offered I find that even nicer because I, I log into Google and and I don't have to fill out all the other information. And then again, I mentioned this because that's also something that some open ID extensions will be, and well, I can't currently do, and will be used more in the future. That is, you're able to control a, a flow of information that that you control back to that website for, to, for example, populate forms with all of your standard boilerplate information after you've auth- authorized that site to receive it. So, so there's, I really see an evolution here and open ID I'm guessing is going to be the one that wins because it is non-proprietary. It's completely open and it's, it's extremely lightweight. Now, the way this works in practice is an open ID that is this, this token, this string that a user uses to identify themselves is just a URL it's the it's a URL of of a page on the web that they control they or a friend of theirs you know uncle steve uh or bob or or somebody <laughs> it's or maybe it's you know a a blogging site that that offers the ability to to host open id stuff one way or another it's a URL of a page now They've they, they, what I liked about it. You know, you've heard me complain about the HTTP colon slash slash mm-hmm, www mm-hmm. nonsense. You in the Open ID spec, you specifically don't need to provide that because the the recipient of this token knows to stick all that junk on because you're giving it a web page URL. So what? So you? So I'm going to a site where I want to authenticate myself. With using the Open ID system for whatever reason, so I, I I put in this string, which is basically somehow to a page that I control. It can be my own server, it can be somebody else's, doesn't matter. So that site pulls that page from the internet and looks for a a, a essentially a tag in the header. It looks for an, an open ID tag, which will contain the URL for the server I have assigned as my open ID authentication server. So there's sort of a level of indirection, meaning that I give a tag pointing to my page. My page provides the URL for the server that I want this site that I'm wanting to authenticate myself to, to go query 
in order to authenticate me. Yeah, I've so, done this uh, with. Uh, so you'd have an open ID provider, but you could have it be your own site that 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 you supply when you log into an open ID page. Well, yes, and in fact, there. Are, I mean, all of this is open source, so there are. Already, I mean, there's a ton of servers written in PHP and Java. There are servers, you know, anybody, you, you know, you could run one on your computer at home with a, 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 a serving port 80, you know, a, a standard web port open and easily create your own little personal open ID server. Yeah, the, but the then whole, it's not trustworthy, is it? Sure, because it's you. You're, yeah, exactly. You're controlling it. Ah. Now, now there are one of the things I want to be clear about, and, and we will as we go through the way this protocol works, it is a bare bones protocol. That is, and it's why I think it has a chance of succeeding, much as uh, the original HTML was, you know, oh my goodness. You know, I mean, you could, compared to today's web pages, you couldn't do anything like that. But it's because it was so simple and it was easy to implement and inexpensive and nobody claimed ownership of it those are the things that that blasted the web into existence and people could like copy other people's web pages and say oh i'm going to change the color to green but otherwise look my web page is already done i mean it was so simple and and this protocol has all of those characteristics so so the 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 site that i'm wanting to authenticate myself to gets a page whose URL I have given it, from that it gets the URL of the server I have chosen as as my my open ID authentication server. It now it takes my my little handle and some other information about the transaction that is just you know sort of a a, a, a blob of stuff. And one of the things it gives the server is the page it wants the server to come back to, which will make sense in a second. Anyway, so basically, it responds and read. And now, I, I should first say that there are several operating modes for OpenID. I'm going to first run through the simplest that requires the least intelligence and implementation overhead on the site that I'm wanting to authenticate to. And it's it, very much like the model with PayPal. So essentially, when I, when I submit my token, my authentication name to this site I want to authenticate to and click the button, my browser is redirected after the, that site picks up the URL of my OpenID authenticator, my browser is redirected to that server with it carrying with it a bunch of extra information from the site that I want to authenticate to, including what, what URL to send me back to when we're done. Now, so basically, now I am, my browser is at my authentication server, and we can do whatever we want to authenticate. And this is one of the beauties of this. One of the, op the, the reasons this thing is so open is that no one is saying what I, my browser, and my OpenID server need to do. It could be as simple as establishing a secure connection and using 
my, for example, an, an, an SSLD client-side certificate to prove, you know, w- w- which contains my, my own um, public key, which has been signed by a, a, a common certificate authority. It, it could be something like that. I could be prompted with a, an, another logon username and password. I could be asked to stick my secure ID USB token into the computer or swipe my finger on, on my, my PC's fingerprint scanner. I mean, virtually anything. So that's one of the cool things about this is that now I'm having a dialogue with whatever authentication provider I've chosen using whatever level of authentication I care about. Remember that this is, this is a service for me, so no one is imposing any criteria on this. Certainly, if this is an e-commerce system or I'm wanting to authenticate to my bank, then I want a very trustworthy third-party authenticator and whatever level of of trust um, and authentication credentials I think is sufficient. But again, it's all up to me. So, so once that's done, once I've satisfied the authentication server that I really am me, then the authentication server uses some crypto stuff to to uh, and the information that was provided by the site I'm authenticating to, basically to re-redirect my browser back to that original site. So in that sense, it's like the trip you make to PayPal to authenticate yourself with PayPal, but in this case, it's not, it's not an e-commerce transaction. It's sort of a generic authentication transaction. So now I'm back. My browser is redirected back to the site where I want to authenticate myself. It is able to look at the essentially the data that came back with me, which it pres- <clears throat> excuse me it presumes is the information that came back from this authentication third party. But there's one weakness in the system, and that is that all of this came through my browser. So we want to make sure the over on the site that I'm wanting to authenticate myself to, we need to make sure that this really came from that third-party authentication so, um, server. So now the site I want to authenticate myself to creates a direct connection to the authentication server and asks that server to validate the signature that it has that that has come through the browser and does it directly that prevents the the client side uh, uh, of this the, the, this whole little redirection bouncing from from being corrupted undetectably at that point this the site that I want to authenticate knows that that the server I chose to do the authentication has said yes this is this person who wants to authenticate and by having a direct connection has verified the credentials that came back from the browser and I'm logged in. So there's three sites. Let me see if I get this. There's three sites here. There's a site I'm trying to get into. There's my site, which is where I store a credential for myself. You, although could, this, is, which, uh, this is unnecessary, but you could have your site be doing this. 
Yes, you could, and that could be the same as the security provider. The open there's, ID there's nothing, site itself, yeah. Exactly. So I use ClaimID.com, which is one of many open ID. But there's a lot of these guys, and they're, they're all trying to have certain value add you know, features on top of the open ID. There's Jite.com, there's a ClaimID, there's quite a few. Anyway, I use ClaimID, among others. Uh, I use Leoville.com as my server. And so let's say I'm logging into twit.tv using OpenID. I would, instead of providing it with, uh, with other credentials, I would just give it leoville.com and in the OpenID space. It would then f- go through leoville.com towards my, to my OpenID provider, ClaimID, which right. would then put up a login page using the ClaimID pa- login and password. I exactly. entered those credentials. ClaimID would then say to twit.tv, yep. He is who he says he is, and I'm logged in. Um, exactly. I mean, there's now, a little back and forth going on there. I'm just trying to simplify it. Right now, there, there are, there is a, a nicer mode. I mean, one of the things that's that's cool about this is what I just described was was the sort of like the simplest, least technology required anywhere approach. If you allow some scripting to go on um server side and all, and maybe client side scripting as well you're able to make a you're able to make a, a a a a quicker process where for example in in the model i just showed you're always bouncing to your authentication server so your whole web browser goes you know bounce over to the authentication server where you authenticate yourself and then you're bouncing back it is there. There is extensions to the protocol which allows that process to be bypassed. It's possible for the site you want to authenticate to to create a a direct connection initially to your authentication server, providing it with you know your ID, saying, "Do you authenticate this person?" Now, what for example, you you could provide a list of sites where you just want de facto authentication um, or a timeout from the last time you, you authenticated yourself, you know, any kind of features. And again, what's so cool about this is that it is wide open. It is a fertile ground, a sort of a basic structure to support this fertile ground of innovation and value added and services added, exactly as you were saying, Leo, with Claim ID, where all, you know, any way people want to have this work, there'll be someone providing it, and you could easily do it yourself. Right. So, so the mechanism, for example, might be where um, for certain sites you that you've identified, you don't want to be forced to go through a a reauthentication, and if, for example, a timeout has expired, then instead a small login window, a, a, a little browser pop-up window could could come up where you do have a connection to your authentication server and log in in order to prove you're you. And then the the site you're wanting to authenticate to is able to get that 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 um, updated authentication information, confirm it, and, and log you in. So it can be... Um, nicely transparent, and I'm sure um, that Microsoft will be moving in that direction with Windows, where the 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 transaction to the third party server could probably use your window logon credentials, and maybe you oh, know other things on the fly. Well, that's a good that's a good point. So if you're yes. logged on to your Windows account, you wouldn't have to enter anything more. It would just say, okay, there you go. 
Exactly. And so oh, and, 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 that's kind of neat. But it, it's going to be, I, I think, really cool because because over time it's going to get easier to use. But we we already well, and we're going to begin to see spreading adoption of this. I mean, just as PayPal is becoming more popular and Google Checkout is becoming more popular because people are more comfortable trusting single sources. This kind of this kind of of single sign-on will will end up changing the way people use the web and and of course at some point it will acquire critical mass and so there will be websites under pressure to support this users are going to say look i don't want to have to come up with a username and password for your you know rinky dink site yeah i i want you to support open id i mean and it's going to be so easy to do so no cost incurred anywhere and a, a fundamentally very securable technology. Now, there are some scary things. For example, this is all DNS-based, and we know that DNS isn't the most secure of all protocols, which is putting it mildly. I mean, so basically, there could be a man-in-the-middle attack here? Yes. And so, for example, there there is the use of strong crypto where necessary. OpenID does specify a, a Diffie-Hellman key exchange at one point in one of its modes. And I would argue that you want a an SSL connection so that you avoid man-in-the-middle attacks and you're going to want to verify certificates. So, But none of that is required, which is sort of good and bad. Um, I've, I've seen some people on the web complaining that it's possible to run OpenID in a non-secure in a non-bulletproof mode, and you could say, well, yes, fine. If I'm just wanting to go to some other blogging site to post a comment, and I don't want to have to create a, a logon account for some random blogging site, I'd like to use my credentials at my main blogging site you know, in, 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 a, in a transportable fashion. You could say, okay, they'll make the technology scale with the amount of authentication security that you need and and again for something really secure where you're doing your online banking and you're not wanting to have to uh, to again authenticate individually well there you'd want your your authentication server to require contact over SSL by the site you want to authenticate to require SSL in its interaction with you if any and so again, that's up to the user. What's so beautiful about this is it is, you know, that kind of burden, that kind of cost of, for example, SSL certificates. I mean, you know, I have to buy one every couple of years from VeriSign, and I grumble every time I do. It's worth it for me because I want, of course, secure e-commerce for GRC. But the the nice thing is there are free non-SSL. Open ID servers that are very useful so long as users understand what level of security they're providing. And certainly there are commercial ones. I mean, VeriSign has one. And there is a, um, I, I've got a bunch of links that are, that are in the show notes, Leo. So for people who are interested in this, you know, by all means, check out the, the show notes for this episode because there's lots of places. And, and again, you're already an open ID user. I so have about four of them, but, I, but I've ended up settling on claim ID. I was going to uh, say, that's a little against the principle. <laughs> well, I, I try stuff out. You understand. <laughs> I do. Um, and each of these open ID providers has, as I said, you know, as a kind of a come on to use their service, they offer different things like claim ID, for instance, 
has a whole page where you can say, I claim this, these pages on the web, these are not mine. So uh, I use that service. And as a, so the open ID is kind of a side benefit to it. Yeah, I, it's one, one of the things that the open ID um, system identifies itself. And it's very clear to explain that this is about identity, not trust. Uh, yes, trust, and that's good. That's good to make that distinction, isn't it? Yes, because, you know, trust requires identity, but not the other way around. You have you have to be sure about who it is that you're trusting. But 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 in order to identify someone uniquely, that doesn't imply anything about trusting them. That just means who they are. So it, and so it, by making that distinction very clear, that's one of the ways that the open ID system has sort of kept itself at a lowest common denominator, completely open source, completely open spec. There are, as you said, there are, there are hundreds of servers all over the world. Many of them are, well, probably, I'm sure most of them are free. Um, even the secure ones are free. Anyway, I think we're going to see this is the system that ends up taking hold, and it, it has been thought through carefully. It's got the, the feel of lightweight Internet-style protocols, and it, it's so open that people are going to be building more onto it. But, I, but, I wish I, Microsoft and Apple uh, and Linux would support this in the operating system, and that would really be fantastic. Then when you log in with your you know, secure credential on your operating system, you'd automatically have an open ID. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time. It, it, is, it is relatively new. It's only a few years old. It's catching on fast. And, I mean, I look for the day when we're no longer sitting here jumbling, uh, you know, individual passwords right. coming up with, you know, personal password it's protocols crazy. and yeah, yeah. all the stuff we've talked about for managing the fact that to be really secure, you want to, you know, not share your ID. This allows exactly what we've been talking about, where, you know, you establish a, a, a strong identification, authentication relationship with one server, and then using an open, free protocol, all the other sites on the net are able to ask it if you're who you say you are. Now, I, I just want to underscore, and you said this, but I want to say it again, this, this is no, not identity verification in any way. Uh, you can create an open ID that says you're Steve Gibson. It's just a way of having a single password for all the sites you visit. It's not. Right. It's not like a PGP signature. It's not. There's no web of trust, as you point out. There's no verification. Well, now a perfect example, though, of of an extension to this would be you could imagine a commercial service that wanted to provide exactly that, act you know, full industrial strength identity verification. So. It would, it would claim that that's what it's going to do. It's not going to ever say it, it, it has identified someone where that person hasn't first gone through some rigorous protocol for establishing their true identity with that service. Right. So in, in the same way, for example, that GRC, every few years, in order to get a, an SSL certificate, I have to re- prove to VeriSign that I'm me, uh, you know, Gibson Research Corporation, a corporation still in good standing in California, blah, 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 and all this stuff in order to get that GRC.com certificate that allows me to establish a secure connection so that people who connect to my server know that it's really me. 
Similarly, you could have a service that is going to go put, put users, end users, I mean, you know, individual people through some sort of similar ringer so that if you use them as your authenticator, you are, and the only way they will authenticate you is if they've proven your identity beforehand, oh, yeah. then that's a perfect example of additional features built on top of this system. Right. So that's exciting. I hope it does take off. Of course, it's meaningless unless sites start using it. If, you know, Amazon starts using it and Travelocity and Expedia, uh, you know, the, the sites that you shop at, L.L. Bean, whatever, wherever it is that you go, then that becomes exciting. I'd love, you know, and, and, I, and if Amazon would get behind something like this, I think that that would be enough to kind of put it over the top. Well, it, it certainly does need that kind of ubiquitous support. Right. But I remember, as I'm sure you do, Leo, the early days of the web before virtually everyone in the world was on the web. Right. And it was like, well, I mean, remember we used to talk about the chicken and egg. Well, yeah, maybe this will take off. But, you know, unless the things I really want are on the net, then why? And why are people going to go on the net right. or like like put themselves on the net before it really exists? How is it going to achieve critical mass, blah, blah, blah? Well, it just happened because it was so inexpensive to yeah. do it. Yeah. And at some point, companies had to be on the Internet or they were going to get left behind. Yeah. And although there isn't the same sort of you're here or you're notness to this, and there are like other ways to authenticate, I can see that pressure will be put on sites once OpenID becomes the way people want to authenticate themselves. Well, I'd like to put some pressure on you, our listener, to take a look at Astaro. How's that for a segue? <laughs> <laughs> our great sponsor, Astaro, makes the uh, Astaro Security Gateway. And now uh, version 7 is out, and man, uh, I have to say, they have really improved uh, what was already a great product, adding things like centralized server-side, uh, gateway-side email encryption, so that your users don't even know they're using encryption, but they get encryption, decryption, even digital signatures based on SMIME and OpenPGP. I imagine they'll implement OpenID at some point in this. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Really is a great way to do it. They've got secure remote access via SSL, VPN, as well as the more traditional uh, forms. You also have scalability via clustering. Their active-active clustering enables a load distribution for as many as 10 Astaro security gateways, eliminating the need to install additional load balancers. It really is amazing. Plus, if you've got the home license, it's absolutely free. You get Now you get Astaro up-to-date as well as their antivirus and anti-spyware and anti-spam and all the tools. Free! Free! Used to be 79 euros. So get it free. Download it at astaro.com, A-S-T-A-R-O.com. And if you want to try it out in your business, absolutely free. Call 877-4-A-S-T-A-R-O. And you can try the Astaro Security Gateway in your business. I use one. It is so great. It's just bulletproof. A-S-T-A-R-O.com. We thank them for their support of security now. So next week, we're going to answer questions. Q&A episode number 20. Hey, yep. yay. I'm so happy. I love doing those Q&As. Um, meanwhile, you can, of course, get a 16-kilobit uh, version of this show, as always, from Steve's site, grc.com. He has transcripts there, show notes, and more. That's grc.com slash security now. You can also, of course, get his great program, Spinrite, everybody's favorite, my favorite, disk recovery and maintenance utility. S-P-I-N-R-I-T-E. It's available from GRC.com. While you're there, check out Shields Up and all those free security utilities. Steve, we'll adjourn and get back together with Uncle Stevie's Hour O Security. 
<laughs> next week. Have a good week. Thanks, Leo. Security now.